You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season five, episode 15, the season finale. Season five of the podcast has been an incredible journey of conversations featuring choreographers and actors, magicians, and writers such as Austin Kleon and Amy Arezio, and visual artists such as Lanicia Rouse Tinsley and Natalie Shaw. We've had conversations with philosophers and theologians such as Jeremy Begbie, adventurers and musicians such as Sleeping at Last and Charlie Peacock. In this final episode of the season, I wanted to share a conversation with you from this year's The Breath in the Clay Creative Arts Gathering. This live discussion features the perspectives of diverse voices you've heard in previous seasons of the podcast. Amina Brown, Josh Girls, Vesper Stamper, Cole Neesmith, and CJ Casciata. In today's conversation, we'll be specifically addressing the tension between the soul of creativity and the business of creativity. In the realm of art making, there can seem at times to be a tension between the desire to create authentic works, works which remain true to the artist's creative vision, while at the same time balancing the need to connect with an audience and create works which are either commercially viable or which resonate with the community where we have influence. In this conversation, my guest and I will address this tension head on from five different perspectives. I think you'll find this conversation to be both challenging and inspiring to your own creative process. Lastly, I wanted to let you know we're gearing up for a fall tour of live podcast events in cities across America, so it feels appropriate to share this live conversation with you today. You can find out what cities we'll be in at makersandmystics.com or in the show notes of this episode. Find out what city is closest to you and come say hello. I'd love to meet you in person and spend an evening together in conversation, expressing art and creativity. This is Makers and Mystics Live from the Breath and the Clay 2019 on the soul versus the business of creativity. Let's welcome to the stage Vesper Stamper, CJ Casciata, Amina Brown, Cole Neesmith, and my good buddy, Mr. Josh Garrels. And for you guys that do keep up with the podcast, uh, there are episodes individually with each one of these guys on different seasons of the podcast, and you can go back and, and listen to those. I've had amazing conversations with all of these guys. But this morning, we're going to focus on a specific subject, a specific topic, and this is the tension between the soul of creativity and the business of creativity. So that's where I kind of want to focus on this morning, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's do this. You guys know everybody, but I want to give them some honor here. Josh Girls is an Indiana-based singer-songwriter whose career is a deeply personal, introspective, lyrical journey, exploring sounds ranging from pastoral indie folk to hip hop. I love that. 
And Vesper Stamper is an award-winning illustrator and young adult fiction author. She was born in Germany, raised in New York City. She has a BFA in illustration from Parsons. And she's just an all-around amazing friend of mine that I love deeply. And um, Amina Brown is an Atlanta-based author, spoken word poet, speaker, and event host. She is the author of five spoken word albums and two nonfiction books. And we're honored to have you with us this weekend. CJ Casquiata is a writer and communicator who helps individuals as well as some of the world's biggest brands discover their unique identity and share it creatively. CJ has worked with the United Nations, MGM Studios, Whole Foods, and his work has been featured on national media, including CBS, MTV, Amazon Prime, and the Makers and Mystics podcast. <laughs> Cole Neesmith is an experienced curator, actor, writer, musician, and speaker. He is the executive director of the Creative City Project, which produces Immerse, an annual performing and interactive arts event in the heart of downtown Orlando. So welcome, guys. Thank you so much for being with us here this weekend. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with a light one and a fun one. And we got two mics. You can pass it around. Just take a couple of minutes with your answer. But all of you guys are currently working as full-time artists in your own different fields, whether it's music or, or writing, spoken word poetry, um, hosting events. I'm curious to know some of the jobs that you worked before you became a full-time artist. Give me one of your worst or one of your best. <laughs> uh, my best job that I worked before this was a receptionist. It was like the perfect job to work while you're hustling, doing other things. Because you're answering the phone, you had the computer, and I could write my articles and do all sorts of things. That was the best. Receptionist for whom, may I ask? I was a receptionist for a commercial realty company okay. in Noonan, Georgia. Yeah, it's a yeah. very adult kind of mm -hmm. thing there. That's, that's kind of scary to me. Yeah, pass that mic. Uh, the first job I had, I was in fourth grade. I worked for Walt Disney World. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and then uh, went into church work, creating um, in engagements, stage elements, that kind of stuff, and I did that until 2017. So I was doing a lot of things around that. Yeah. yeah. Man, when I was in high school, I worked for Old Navy. <laughs> <laughs> Could never fold those shirts right, man. Could never fold those shirts right. Web design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, worst was working car wash, drying cars like eight hours a day. And I think that was the moment as an 18, 19 year old where I realized I don't want to work for anyone. And so <laughs> my wife, Michelle, jokes and half shames me that I've never had like a real job, you know? So, but I did posture before entering into music full-time. I was like a 27-year-old. Yeah, so that was probably like my best vocation pre-entering into art full-time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I want to ask, when we talk about the tension between the heart or the soul of creativity and then the business of creativity, kind of what I mean by that is... The creative mode or the, like the creative mindset 
is based on playfulness, it's based on intuition, it's based on curiosity, it's exploring hunches, following ideas, rabbit trails, you know, the whole bit. But then when you get to uh, the business aspect of creativity, it's a lot of calculated decisions, it's a lot of deadlines, it's a lot of working within structures, very linear thought, you know? And so I'm curious, um, and Vesper, maybe we'll start with you since you're holding the mic, put you on the spot. <laughs> Help me, uh, how do you bridge the tension between those two mindsets in your life? It helps to not be an Enneagram four. <laughs> so true. That doesn't no. help me. <laughs> I'm an eight. So I'm not one of those wishy-washy people. Oh, you're saying I'm wishy-washy. I'm really kidding. I'm really kidding. No, no. Um, no, it really does help to do the, the boring um, organizational setting up your systems, your color coding, you know, having a calendar with your due dates in one color and, you know, you're setting your setting the long view, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's just what came to mind. Yeah. Kind of immediately, but I guess also, if you're going to do this as a profession, you have to realize that you're part of a team, and it's not just all about your own self-expression. Kind of like what I said last night, but like, you know, that you're you're part of a team that all wants to make great work together. At least in my industry, because I am working with art directors and editors, and you know. I think, just as a little aside, I think I read somewhere that the average book goes through about 200 hands before it um, goes to market. Yeah, I think um, we've been on the road before arriving here, and there's been this ongoing conversation on the road that I feel like plays right into this question. And there's different um, words to put on those two ends of the spectrum, you know? One that John, my keyboard player, the words he's been putting on it are on one side you have like hierarchy and control, and the other side you have mystery, you know? I've heard it put before, you have a trellis and the vine. The vine is a thing that's growing, but if it stays on the ground, the fruit rots, and so you create this structure to get it up off the ground so you can create more fruit. The words you put to it were self-control versus what was the other end? Sensitivity. Letting your emotions run rampant. Yeah. <laughs> you know that there's something about finding the balance between those two things, having enough structure that you can be efficient and fruitful, but not getting so locked into the structure that it's putting a stranglehold on spontaneity and mystery and wonder. You know, so there is, Enneagram-wise, I'm a three with a four wing, which means it served me that I like to achieve things, you know? Um, but I need to watch out that I'm not doing that so that you love me, you know, or adore me. But anyway, there is that sense of like pushing forward and accomplishing things, but you need to have certain disciplines in order so that it actually comes to completion, you know? I'd say that's how I balance those two. And I'll know when I'm off on one side or the other. When I realize I forgot to pay our family's bills, I realize I've been making an album, you know? And then when I realize I haven't picked up my guitar in two months, I realize, wow, I've been booking shows, you know? So there is this sense of taking a thermometer test or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Where are you at on that spectrum? Yep. Uh, one thing I had to learn as a full-time artist is that I have to be an artist and a businesswoman. 
And so I really wish I would have studied more entrepreneurship in college, honestly. So I feel like for people who want to be full-time uh, creative professionals, you will become a business person and accept that, you know? But also, I just want to put some air in the room too and say, just because you feel called to be creative doesn't mean it has to be your job either. Mm -hmm. And if you decide you want to work at something else and do your creative things on the side, that that's not a bad thing. I think sometimes we put pressure on people like, you have this passion, you must work this as your job. And like, you don't have to. Or if you did and you decide it's too stressful for you and you want to work for someone else for a while and make your stuff or you don't have the pressure of like paying your bills that way, um, it doesn't matter as long as you're making the work you want to make. It's good, it's so good. Good, good. good. <laughs> uh, I think for me, one of the early things was picking one thing. So there were like six or seven things that I loved and I could walk down any of those roads and I felt the freedom to do it. But what I was finding myself doing was like sticking a toe in here for a week, sticking a toe in here for a week and just constantly hopping from one thing to the next. And so I think going through the mourning process of saying no to all of that so that I can say yes to this one thing and be fruitful and effective in it. And maybe these other things, like even me with songwriting, like 25 songs in the last two months, um, it was time for that to come back into my life. Um, and now I think the thing I deal with is just wrestling with the fact that like there are things that we have to do in order to achieve the passion that we have. And so I think to say all of these things are orderly and didactic and businessy and entrepreneurial, yeah, all that's true, but it's also tied to all the stuff that I'm feeling. And so to be okay with embracing the complexity of all of that stuff and having grace for ourselves in the process to be like, okay, I didn't send a single email to a single venue this week, so I'm probably not gonna be playing any shows. Today, I can send some emails to some venues and get back on that train. So I think grace along the way for sure has been helpful. I think for me and probably like so many other artists and creatives, like you, you start off with these like really massive big ideas and that can be really paralyzing because you're like, how do I, like what's the first thing that I need to do to accomplish these ideas? And something that's been helpful for me is going through like the Disney Imagineering process where they literally compartmentalize, okay, here's the part where we can be total blue sky and we can dream and dream and dream and then here's the part where we just kind of like tear it to the ground and poke all the holes in it and then here's the part where we run it through you know other people's thoughts and opinions and everything so it's been genuinely helpful to me to, when I'm wanting to accomplish like a big kind of crazy like I don't know how to do this is literally get the iCal out you know iCalendar and and just have the moment where I'm, I'm dreaming and scheming and all that stuff but then transferring to a point where I get very, very tactical and go, okay, I actually need to plan this out and to, to give myself um, days where I'm going, no, I'm not gonna take this other meeting or I'm not gonna take this other um, appointment because yeah, even though I'm doing something that's really just me in my office kind of being creative, that's, it, it, if it's not gonna happen, then it's not gonna happen at any time. And so, um, and so yeah, just, just knowing when to, use the left side of your brain and to use the right side of your brain has been very helpful to me because I think um, sometimes we can be like deers in the headlights and go, I don't know, I don't know what to do first, but just to go, okay, it's a process. I just, um, that reminded me that my husband and I were both full-time freelancers, which is crazy. Um, but we recently realized that, um, who was it that talked about product oh, Justina about stillness being productivity well that's really hard to put into practice when you're trying to pay the bills and everything and we realized that we were 
um, the reason we felt exhausted was we were all output and no input. Like we hadn't built in to our lives that replenishment to be able to like just sit and dream and think of you know the creative ideas and everything. It was just all output and our our ideas were just getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> so like that. So that's part of the business of it is yeah. is intentionally structuring in you know, okay, I'm taking a day off here, or I'm taking a day, I'm going to walk, you know, for an hour, and building that in, because you can just have, you know, your tush in the chair for, like, weeks on end, you know. And it feels very counterintuitive to, you know, the hustle, hustle, hustle sort of mentality, but, I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you can't be creative unless you give your space, yourself space to think, get outside your comfort zone, and literally just be. The other thing I was thinking when you were bringing up team earlier, Vesper, I think um, I'm learning on the like performing artist side that a lot of the performing artists you see that you're like, look at them touring, doing these things. They're amazing. They have a team of like 20 people sometimes. Like behind them, they have a booking agent and a manager and an attorney and an assistant, whatever. So I learned for me and my like small business, you know, my husband and I are also both freelancers. He's a DJ. Like learning how to build a team to make your business function better. It took me eight years into my business to hire an assistant, (laughs) eight years. And I still can only afford to pay her like 20 hours a month, but boy, she is saving me time in those 20 hours because she's completing an Excel sheet much more quickly than I do when I sit down to do it. So also for those of us who are uh, full-time at this and want to do that full-time, think about how you can build a team around you of people who have strengths that you don't have that could actually save you time. My friends were on me for years and years. Hire an assistant, hire an assistant. Now there's so many emails that I could like, please tell them no. (laughs) Please tell them I can't do that. Please schedule this for me. Like simple things like that. Uh, For a performing artist, whether or not it's time for you to have an agent or have an assistant that can be a booking agent for you and help you start processing some of those shows. Some simple things can help there too. And that doesn't mean we work less. It means we work hard doing the, doing the stuff that we do well. So yeah, I think there's that perception of like, if I could just hire these people, then I wouldn't have to work as much. And it's no, you just shift your energy to something that's more suited for our strengths. It's mm-hmm. good. Easy question, and then we're gonna get into the deep stuff. I have one question I'm saving, so. Uh, But how has working full-time affected your relationship to your art? Um, Because I know that for me, at one point, you know, being a musician as well, that uh, I had an opportunity to um, play at weddings and I hated it. And, it, and it was gonna kill all creativity inside. That'll be my sixth creativity killer, is uh, playing music at weddings, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, the next book, you know. Um, and so finally, my, my method was just to jack my prices up so high that nobody would hire me, and so I worked myself out of the business. But I, I, it, it changes. You know, if, if, you're, if you're art, and there's no hierarchy in this, they're, they're both beautiful and valuable, like you're saying, you don't have to do this full time to give it meaning and value. But for those of you that are doing this, how did, how did that affect your creative process, especially when you've got deadlines and you've got to get the album released or, you know, the book launch and, and just briefly. I, I'm just gonna share a real quick revelation I had recently about this. So I'm working on another book right now that please 
God, I will almost be done with, but it's been so hard. It, I can't, I don't even want to go into it. Um, but I, I had all these things that I wanted to talk about in the book, and it was like, I felt like I had used up all of my good words, all of my words in the last book, like I was out of words, and I was out of ideas, and I was really lamenting this, and the Lord just kind of dropped this little nugget on me, and he said, these are the words that you have right now, and it's okay. Like, you'll have something else in the future, but this is what you have now. And it was like, oh, okay. Because when you're working to deadlines and you have to deliver, and um, because the last book did, did well, it's like you have that to live up to and all of this stuff, you feel like you have to like up your game the next time. And sometimes that's just not where you are. You know, sometimes it's sort of, I hate to say it, I don't want, I, I want you all to buy my next book because it's going to be fine. But like, you know, <laughs> like sometimes it's kind of more like of an in-between thing or filler, you know, until like while your next idea is ramping up because the third book, man, it's going to, it's awesome. It, I'm already seeing it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> but this in-between spot is, is kind of, you have to be at peace with it is I guess what I'm trying to That's say. That's good. That's really good. Um, I think we get a little too uh, crazy about like the duality between commercial and and art. Like I read this, uh, everybody should get this book. It's called Ignore Everybody by Hugh McLeod. If you haven't read it, it was literally like maybe one of three books that I could say was life changing for me. And he talks about how the you know the degree to which um, people are responsible or uh, the degree to which you're making money off of like your precious art is the degree to which you will sell out for that. So he's saying even some of the most successful artists, they all have sort of a component to what they do or part of what they do, which is just a gig. Like people who are super, super successful in their art, they still have this thing where they go, okay, I'm going to do this for the paycheck so that it allows me to have this other thing that maybe I'm more known for, or maybe I really enjoy doing more, but that nobody can touch it because I don't actually need to make money off of that thing. And it serves, and it was interesting, in, in a really ideal manner, that thing helps serve the more sort of just gig for a gig's sake, the wedding or whatever. But he said nobody, no matter how successful you get as an artist, should ever poo-poo the, 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 that's a good word, right? Um, uh -huh. the, 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 the gig, the commercial stuff, because yeah. the commercial stuff helps you be really, really true to the stuff that nobody else can touch. That's and that's good. been really helpful to me. It's really good, yeah. And I think we're all on a spectrum of how much we need the nobody can touch it and how much we're, I love partnering with commercial endeavors. Like, just went to the Whitney, they just closed the Andy Warhol exhibition and he spent much of the first half of his life as a commercial artist. And I don't know, but maybe he was perfectly content with that. Like, maybe he loved that. Um, Zora Neale Hurston, one of the most, you know, beloved modern writers, died penniless, but is hailed as an amazing writer. She never got to the point where she was like living a palatial life, but she's a celebrated artist. And so I think it's like allowing ourselves the opportunity to embrace who we are and what we care about with ignoring everyone else. Like if you love doing commercial work, if you love playing weddings, he doesn't, <laughs> and that's fine for him. Maybe you love it. There's no shame in that's that. Right. 
Like I talked to my friend Jessie, she's a full-time wedding photographer, and that's the thing in the, in the photography community. Are you a wedding photographer? Are you a real photographer? <laughs> and wedding photographers are real photographers. Yeah, that's right. And what she loves about it isn't taking pictures and editing them and making them beautiful, which she's awesome at. She loves being with brides and grooms and facilitating a meaningful moment. And for her, the art isn't the photo at the end. It's the moment they're creating together. Mm -hmm. And because of the authenticity and the relationship, that's what brings her life. And that's great. Yeah. So being okay with where you are in all of these like spectrums that we say, you got to be on one side or the other. That's really good. I think when I first started out in like faith-based spaces, spoken word, and probably still in a lot of ways is still being used this way, but it was being used like people wanting you to compose work according to like the theme of their event or, you know, a nonprofit might have this initiative. They want you to compose work for that. And so I was getting advice early on from people like, you should just start like thinking about all the holidays, you know, thinking about all the like, you know, different Advent season and Lent. You should just start writing stuff for that. And that way, like when people call you, you'll have it. So I was young and I was like, okay. And I sit down and I'm like, you know, this isn't that inspiring for me. I don't know. And so for me, it was finding sort of turning that on its heel. So like, I don't work well that way. I don't work well looking at like, this is trending. How to make sure I write about that, or this is relevant. How to make sure I write about that. Like I have to start with the work of how it's coming out already. I have to center myself right there. So for a long time, I wrote worship poems for whatever reason that was coming out at the time. And then my poems started getting funny and I was like, oh dear, this is not gonna fit the thing. You know, (laughs) this isn't gonna go after a Hillsong song. We don't know, you know. And just letting the work say, and to your point earlier, Cole, that also meant saying no when the request came, like, but we loved He Is Here. We would love to have 10 more of those. I have Dear TV sitcoms now. Would you like that? You know? And so just like for me, going along with like where my work is going Mm -hmm. and not letting the trends tell me, but letting the work tell me. And there's always an audience for that work. But I did tell someone in the bathroom, you're probably in here somewhere, that I was talking to my therapist, also get a therapist, and (laughs) needs therapist, real bad. And I was talking to her and I was like, I don't want people to be disappointed with my creative work, with me. And she was like, they will, what's next? (laughs) So just accepting. People, you're going to have fans who are not going to love the stuff you're making now. They're going to wish it sounded like it was five years ago. Or you're going to have clients who don't love whatever this is. Like, people are going to be disappointed. Don't let their disappointment keep you from, like, making the stuff you want to make. That's really good. I'm trying to trace back how I feel about this. Um, I told this story before, but it still stands because it just happened to me again recently. Right now, I'm working on a lot of new work. So this is one of my few tours this year, you know, uh, peeking my head above water. But I spend a lot of my days in my basement studio right now, like tweaking snare tones, you know? And, <laughs> and I come up and I wonder, and I ask Michelle, there are these points where I, I'm like, it's very inward. My world is really small right now, you know? It feels really small, because it's all like sort of hyper-focused on, on this thing that I'm creating. and that, for me, it begs the question, because I have these, 
these other parts of me that want to be expansive and see landscape and connect with people and that feels so internal and so hyper-focused that I start questioning, am I supposed to do this? Is this a good way to spend my life? I feel like some part of this that doesn't feel like it's good for me, you know? And in the past, I mean, I've like, my body's broken down because I like get so hyper-focused and but then I came into contact with a piece of art. And recently, I don't even remember what that one was, but connected to it was a story about the person's process and how long it took. And this thing welled up in me that realized, like, I resonate with, like, that process. Years and years and years ago, when I was pastoring and making music on the weekends, I haven't seen this film since, but it was Science of Sleep by Michelle Gondry. And I remember me and my wife watched it before we had kids, and I was really affected by the film. Um, in that film, there's sort of like these dream sequences where he's done this stop-motion animation, and these things are happening. And I remember, for whatever reason, at that point in my life, I was really affected by this. It was really surreal, and I loved it, you know? And we watched the extras right afterwards, and it showed him there, like, moving things a fraction of an inch, take a picture, fraction of an inch. And they're like, this? 30-second sequence, took him two months, and this, and I realized, like, whoa. And for some, that would make them pull their hair out, like, God, no, please, you know, that would drive many people insane, but for him, there was a driving, you know, the word I use is unction, that, like, I have this vision, and I'm going to sit there and tweak this snare tone for an hour until it, like, locks in, and somehow that's serving the whole and creating something that's powerful, you know? And so it just happened again recently as I've been questioning, is this an okay way to spend my time? I've got five kids. I have these visions for how I want God's kingdom to affect the world, and I'm down here for eight hours playing with a snare tone. You know? <laughs> how is this? No, how is this yeah, beneficial? Right. I'm really asking myself those deep questions. Mm -hmm. um, but it hit me again, like, oh, there's part of me, I'm like made to do this, you know? I'm made to care intensely about this thing that feels like minutia, but it's building this thing that eventually is gonna launch out there and potentially, there's no guarantees, potentially really affect someone. And in unnameable ways, they're hearing this, like, I don't know why, but I'm feeling this. It's because the snare tone's so good. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right, right, man. That's right. No, but that, I think, what hit me, though, because I was pastoring at the same time, as I realized also, it's going to take everything. I can't moonlight. In my case, I realized I can't, like, moonlight anymore. I can't be divided between a few different things. Like, I care really intensely about that snare tone. It's going to take everything, you know, whatever the part of the process, it's going to take my full attention. And I just recognize that. And that, for me, was the, the knowing of I'm called to this. This is my vocation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, like, go in full throttle. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Yep. That's good. Well, guys, we are already at our time. But I have one question that I can't escape. And I mean, you, you actually already addressed it a little bit, but you, you guys will be hearing this on Makers and Mystics uh, coming up because it really impacted me. And so I at least wanna open up a can of worms that we can't possibly address in 30 seconds. Because uh, I, I, it will leave you with more questions than answers, right? But last night you talked about giving yourself permission to evolve as an artist and not feeling the pressure to create the same type of work that you did five, 10 years ago, that really spoke deeply to me, especially when you said not even to uh, carry the expectation to hold the same theological ideas or the, to be in the same spiritual place that you were. Um, that 
really resonated deeply with me because I think a lot of times, especially for artists of faith or people working in faith communities, a lot of times it's, we, we get known for a particular lyric or we get known for a particular statement or, or a sound or whatever it is. And then as we go on, like you said, people just expect us to repeat that because that's the brand or that's, that's what it is. But I think that what you were saying is, is so important because as artists, we're always evolving. And as people of faith, we're always evolving. I, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I don't believe or even connect with God the same way that I did in a lot of ways 10 years ago. So for you guys, quick 30 second answer. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to know or come back next, you know. But you know, um, how, how do you balance that between that evolving interior place in your faith walk or in your art and then uh, sort of the, the static or stationary public thing that people take away from your journey. Does that make sense? It's a huge question. We can't possibly answer it in this time, um, but I'd love to give it a shot. There's nothing been, that's been more freeing for me than embracing complexity. Um, I am constantly changing, and in all the things that you just said about what you believe and think and act, that, all that stuff is true for me. And so where I have landed is not to land in a new spot, but to be okay with always being in process and not needing you all to be okay with that. Like, I grew up in the church. It wasn't until I was 35 that I had a job outside of church. And I, that was my world, and it was my bubble. And since 2017, I've worked with artists of all kinds of beliefs and thoughts and faiths and not faiths. And I'm realizing that for a long time, I believed that Christians had a monopoly on joy and hope and fulfillment and contentedness. And all these people have just as much of that as I was, you know, as I do. And so it's like, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my faith? I tell people all the time, I've seen more cultural transformation with what we're doing with artists in the city over the last three years than I've seen in 30 years of being part of the church. What does that mean for me? And so it's not, I'm going to come up with any answers to any of those questions but I gotta be okay, and I can't harden my heart toward God, and I can't harden my heart to, to the world, and I can't harden my heart to who I was, and I can't harden my heart to people who think differently than me or worship differently than me. I just gotta be okay with all of us being complex, including me. It's good. It's good. So I'm 38, I'll be 39 this year, and I had an idea in my mind, I fly a lot, I've been flying a lot, I have divorced parents, I've been flying a lot. I've been flying since I was like four years old to different people's homes, whatever. So I had an idea in my mind that I was going to get into my 40s and it was going to be like, I was telling Cole this, you move around the cabin now, you take your seatbelt off, you're in your like cruising altitude now. And I'm like, oh God, I'm not at my cruising altitude. And, like, what? and I'm wondering if really uh, our life's work is about arrivals and departures more than it is this like, extended cruise period, you know? You're gonna get up to the 10,000 feet sometimes and come back down to a destination and depart again and arrive again and depart again and arrive again. And I think if we get okay, I'm, I'm learning this, I'm trying to get okay with that rhythm, then maybe we loosen our expectations of what we thought our work was supposed to do by now, what we thought people were supposed to think of us by now, you know? And just be like, well, oh well, and now I'm departing again and I'll arrive again, you know? It's good. It's good. 
as creators, we always get locked into thinking that we have something to prove. And we don't have anything to prove. We have something to give. And it's a servant mentality. And sometimes it's not going to work. I think about when Dylan went electric. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And nobody liked it. It's a mysterious thing when people like it, but if we make the apex or the, the, the focal point people liking it, somehow that misses the mark completely. Somehow we end up being George Lucas and going over and over and over and over again to Star Wars when we liked the first Star Wars, you know what I mean? That's good. That's so good. We have nothing to prove. We have something to give, and that's humbling, and that's vulnerable, and it's probably not going to work out a lot. And sometimes it magically does, but that's not the point. The point is we make, because we reflect the heart of God, who loves and likes us regardless of how it turns out. Yeah, that's good. So good. Um, On the subject of evolution, um, the funny thing is that I did not grow up in the church. As I shared, I grew up in a Jewish home, and I got completely hijacked by Jesus at 16. Somewhat like, I think think we have a similar story. And... um, I mean, completely hijacked, was not looking. And now, having walked with him for years, <laughs> um, and having made a lot of work in that time, and um, heard a lot of people asking about this intersection of faith and art and all of that, I find that actually my evolution, if you want to call it that, is a returning to my first love and returning to those first things, returning to, you're the, you're, you're the one I know, you're the one I met all those years ago. You're still the same, you haven't changed. I'm still walking with you. And if anything, it's just gotten way more simple, mm-hmm. way more simple over time. So that's my story. Vesper, that's like so encouraging to hear, you know, because if I'm honest, I'm sitting here thinking like, I'm actually in a bit of like a troubled point, man. Like. I love good art, I love aesthetics, I love culture. But nationwide as I travel, I, from my vantage point, I see a real loosening to the point of falling away happening, where there can be an evolution that's like we're moving on. Mm-hmm. It troubles me, man. Yeah. Because maybe similar, I don't know everyone's stories, but I came to faith late in life out of weird spiritual drug use trips and stuff, you know what I mean? And it's, he's always been this anchor, like, unchanging. I think the way that the incarnation happens through us, the way he wants to put his signature on things can look different and exciting and, but it's unchanging, you know. And so when my peers left and right, it seems like these days in the name of good art or whatever, are moving on from the simplicity it troubles me. I mean, yeah, my voice is quivering right now because there's some emotion in here, you know? Like, I feel a similar thing, that there's been a strange coming full circle. I even think that's why the Lord brought us from Portland, Oregon, where we were for almost a decade. I loved our time there. I loved that city, but he brought us back to a little flyover town in Muncie, Indiana, you know? The place where I came to faith and met my wife and had my first daughter and learned the simple things of the faith, where I 
experienced like what true community is and unconditional love for the first time. Somehow he wanted to bring me back there full circle to remind me of those things as I move forward, you know. So there is, I think there can, there's a good, we need to allow ourselves some, some change. And we're talking about an infinite God, which means we should be learning new things about his love and his complexities and his simplicities and all that he has to offer. Lately, Christ to me is, the picture I have is just him like opening his chest open and riches dumping out. Every promise is amen, and I've barely taken one of those promises. I mean, he's offering us healing and inexpressible joy and joy and suffering and things that are beyond us. You know, I just keep seeing this vision of like riches and glory. He's saying, you can have it all. You can have it all. It's here. It's here. And um, I'm hoping that at a time like this and our generation and my peers, we can begin to like take of his riches and actually have something of his to offer and not just some new, new twist, another new twist to the point where we get tired of it and move on because it seems yeah. boring. It should never be boring, man. Um, anyway, man, I'll stop talking, but that's amazing. Amen. And that's yeah. I'm, in a, I'm in a similar plate as Vesper. Right yeah. now. He's bringing me back to like the real simple things mm-hmm. of him, you know, that's good. So. I just want to, we've been talking amongst ourselves up here kind of, but I just want to like look out at everybody here and say, don't leave him. Mm-hmm. Just stick close. And if you're, if you're at that kind of point, you know, where you're, you're scared that you might walk away, just don't. Just stick with him. He's really worth it. He's everything. So good. Guys, give it up for these guys here. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This concludes season five of the show. Your faithful support of Makers and Mystics has enabled me to produce over 100 episodes of the podcast so far. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead for us. I think you're going to be thrilled at the conversations we already have planned for the next phase of the show. We're currently in the planning stages for the Breath in the Clay 2020 and for the fall Makers and Mystics live podcast tour. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode or visit makersandmystics.com for details on what city we'll be visiting. If you'd like to go deeper into these conversations on art, faith, and culture, you can join our creative collective at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. I'll be taking next week off to prepare for season six, which is scheduled to launch the week of August 12th. So thanks again, my friends. The best is yet to come. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art.